Walking with Jesus, serving with love, and sharing with courage. Welcome to the Pecan Podcast. Hey everybody, it is Pastor Courtney, and I'm so excited because I occasionally get to do interviews with wonderful, awesome, exciting, lovely people, and when those people live in Mission Viejo and go to our church, they come into my office, but most often when it's authors and speakers and fascinating people from around the country, we are over Zoom, but today I have Alicia Akins right here with me in my little home studio slash kitchen. Um, And she is the author of Invitations to Abundance, How the Feasts of... The Bible Nourish Us Today. How the Feasts of the Bible. I was going to say Feasts of Scripture. Feasts of the Bible Nourish Us Today. It is a beautiful book. If you're doing the Eastertide Bible study, you'll see the pastor's recommendations right there at the end of the book. And you'll see her book under my recommendations Mm -hmm. for summer reading. Because summer is a time where we think about celebration and relaxing and remembering all of the good things God has done. It's almost hard not to celebrate when we're outside and things are blooming and bursting with life. Um, So I'm just so excited to introduce you to Alicia. She was on the podcast, gosh, over a year ago, um, but that was before this book came out. So welcome, Alicia, and congratulations. Thank you. Thanks for setting this up. I'm so, so glad that um, our church can hear from you and learn from you. Tell us a little bit about your book. The the subtitle describes it a little bit, but what is it about and what inspired you to write it? Yeah. So um, when I first started thinking about this book, writing this book, my agent asked me who the book was for. And I said it was anyone who was old enough to be a little disillusioned with life. Hmm. And I thought that that would be like, you know, the end of college and up. And then the world happened the past couple of years. And so I kind of was like, scratch that. This book is for everyone. But it really is uh, a book that's intended to encourage people. Um, It's intended to encourage people who don't see God in their circumstances and who think that the grace of God is a far off distant thing and not a present um, help for us. And so um, each chapter of the book is sort of set up like an invitation. Um, The subtitle of each chapter is who the invitation is for. So um, the Passover being for people who are enslaved or people who, um, like the prodigal son chapter, it's to um, people who are wandering or lost, things like that. And um, then each chapter goes through one of the feasts in the Bible. Sometimes they're um, a literal feast, sometimes they're metaphorical. Um, and then each chapter closes with a liturgical reflection that I meant sort of to be like a speed bump, a way to slow people down. Not that I think people are going to be whizzing through my book or anything like that, but a way to be intentional about what um, what people just read. Mm. Um, and so it's supposed to really help people think about how they can apply or accept the invitation that God gives to them in the midst of whatever situation they're in to their own lives um, and appropriate it for themselves. So that's kind of the gist of the book. It covers each of the main sections of, sections of scripture. Um, 
from the Old Testament all the way through Revelation. Mm. I love your description of those liturgical sections as speed bumps because that's how it felt to me in the best possible way. I'm a speed (laughs) reader. I burn through books. And I have found with some of the books that have nourished me the most over the last couple of years, especially since, like you said, since everything, right? We just all describe it as since everything, are the books that that gently invite me to pause. Mm-hmm. And your your speed bumps at the end, these liturgical prayerful sections, which are so beautifully written, are a big part of that. But also just your writing style is this very restful style. Like you can't read it quickly because mm-hmm. it it's almost meditative. It's very prayerful. It's this book is not explicitly a Bible study, but by reading this book, you find yourself just soaked mm. in these passages of mm. scripture. And I can read in your words, your deep love for the Lord, your deep love for the scriptures in a way that, you know, I'm a pastor and it becomes a business book for me sometimes mm. in I ways that I don't that. like. Yeah. It has brought me back to this devotional place of, oh, oh, wow, God, God is as good mm. as I'm preaching that he is, right? Mm -hmm. So it has blessed me just tremendously. Um, Is there a chapter that was a favorite for you when you were writing? Was there one that you felt like, okay, this feast is for me? Mm, Okay, so I think I could answer that two ways. One, in terms of like really enjoyed writing, um, really enjoy reading from like a literary perspective that just like the words come off the page for me um and then sort of the like I need these words myself Mm -hmm. in a very deep way and I think if the whole book you know like if I read it and I mean it seems weird to talk about this way but like reading and internalizing because I think sometimes we can write aspirationally and get to the end of a page and be like man how different would my life be if I lived like you know if I actually like fully lived this out all the time it sounds weird to say but um no I I have a book called it uncluttered and occasionally people visit our house and they look in my garage and they say I read your book and I'm like okay we have three kids and we've lived through a pandemic I'm I'm working on it it's aspirational right it's um so I think I really well it's it's hard to I really liked the storytelling portions of all of the chapters Mm -hmm. but I especially like the storytelling portions for the um uh, ruin restored the one about the feast the imagery of feasting through the prophets I think that one was especially unique to me because I wrote that one um, at the beginning of the pandemic and so I was in the midst of studying exile and what that looked like and a lot of the descriptions from exile overlapped with things that were happening in my world um, in terms of like the, the um, sound of bri- the bride and groom disappearing as people were having to cancel weddings or make them much smaller, um, old people vanishing from the streets, um, children not being out. Like, there was so much that was, like, in the world. But I remember I wrote a draft of that, and then my agent was like, can you make it a little more hopeful at the end? Mm. And thinking through the message of hope that the Bible presents within that framework of that feast um, was really uplifting and helpful to me and I think sort of I kept that message with me throughout the entire um, I mean we're still in like in a pandemic but I kept I had that message with me as it went on and so I feel like 
some of the really powerful imagery from the book, a lot of people have noted have come from that chapter. And mm-hmm. I just feel like the convergence of Bible study and real life events um, is kind of unique. Um, and then in terms of a chapter that like really challenges me or that like I feel like I really struggle with, um, I think I'd say the one about... Um, from Psalm 63, mm-hmm. which people don't usually think of when they think about feasts because it's sort of not the thing that first hits you in the face about it, but it's the Feast of the um, Transformed Wilderness. And mm-hmm. it's about, you know, David begins the psalm talking about, like, um, his longing for God who feels absent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the end of the psalm, he's talking about how God has transformed that place into a place that is like... Um, a feast and um, that chapter contained excerpts from some personal journals and personal emails of mine from mm-hmm. my own past experiences going through mm-hmm. hard times um, and I think it's always a, a really um, helpful reminder when God feels absent because I just feel like they're so often it seems like he's not there or um, or I have questions about what he's up to or what he's doing or why he doesn't feel as close. Mm -hmm. Um, But I even remember, so I've been taking Korean and my Korean um, teacher. Korean language. Korean language classes. And my um, language teacher is a Christian woman. She lives in France, but we often talk about faith during our lessons. And one time she was talking about why God seemed to be close to everyone but her. Mm. And... I remember just thinking about that chapter and telling her, like, I know that God is close to me because he says that he Mm. will be. And I take him at his word, Um, even though I might not have the same kinds of emotional experiences that other people have when they say that God is close to them. Mm. That like, I believe that he is where he says he will be um, and that he will do the things that he says he will do because I think that he's trustworthy. And I think that's Mm. a large part of that chapter. So. That's a, I'm, I'm just sitting with that for a moment because your book is this soulful, it's emotional in places. So to hear you also describe the, whether I feel it or not, whether I sense it or not, God says this. So I trust that it is true, that there's a whole journey there. There's mm-hmm. a whole, there's mm-hmm. another book mm-hmm. there. <laughs> of what does it mean to trust the thing? Because you trust the person, even if right, the warm fuzzies or the mountaintop experience is not there. And I, I think um, you know, we've known each other. We were trying to figure out how long, four years, five years, <laughs> and we've seen each other through a lot of life, right? Like there has been real ups and downs and, and roommate situations yes. and cross country. Am I moving? And, and all these things. And to just reflect back the, um, God is good. God is trustworthy. Um, and that is on every page of your book, but not in a way that is trite or easy or, this, you know, we Christians really can get in trouble by throwing the cliches mm-hmm. at each other, right? Like, yeah. well, it's okay. God can't give, God won't give you any more than you're like, Shh, no, yeah. not actually true. David is suffering mm-hmm. and we are suffering. And yet. Yeah. And this is also still true. Yeah. Is that aspirational? Um, I think that it's, there are times when it's aspirational, but I really want to take God at his word. Mm-hmm. Cause I think when you look at the whole of scripture, 
it's filled with people who weren't sure that God could do what he said he could do. Mm-hmm. Um, or that he wouldn't be where he said he would be. And yeah. um, I think the disappointment that God feels over the people that he called to himself, by and large, is that they didn't take him at his word. Mm-hmm. Um, not that they didn't win the battle or that they didn't um, achieve the great thing, but that they didn't think that, you know, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And they were like, but will we be your people? You know, and um, if we're your people, why aren't you doing this? And so I think the lack of the faithlessness um, of his Mm. people is like a dagger to the heart. And I don't, Mm. I don't want to, I think I can say both that this particular thing is heavy and hard and I wish it weren't this way. And I can also say that I, I think that God is trustworthy. Mm. And right now there's a big chasm between the two of those things. Yeah. But it doesn't invalidate mm. the the difficulty of what I'm experiencing or the greatness and goodness towards me of God. So mm. that's a that's a good word. Yeah. I mean I used to be, I, I used to go through really hard things and doubt God the whole time. And then mm. once he did the thing, I would say, Oh yeah, he's good. But that's not what it means to have faith. Right. That's to have a result. Yeah. Not to have faith. Yes. <laughs> Those are and, two and very that's, different things. That's one of the most beautiful things about your book is there are these, you know, very personal stories and very contemporary stories, things that you've been through in your own life in the last months and and years. And also, there's this constant pointing back to, look, God was faithful here, Psalm 63. Mm -hmm. God was faithful here, story of the prodigal son. And I think that's one thing that Daryl and I have both found in our personal lives as well as in our professional ministry lives is when we are in this season of, but is God good? Is God trustworthy? To look back at those milestones, both in scripture and in our own lives Mm -hmm. of, okay, um, this is where God proved faithful. This is where God proved faithful. Where did God prove unfaithful yeah. never right. Yeah. right like at which point am i going to oh, i found it no 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 not, not the there story. either yeah. right and <laughs> and so to to point back to both of those both in our personal story and also in this corporate story of scripture is so important and yeah. your book weaves those together in such a beautiful way it's not just memoir and it's not just exposition of scripture but how do we weave these together and in reading that i found this encouraging challenge to do that more regularly in my own life as Mm -hmm. I'm reading scripture where is my story here and as I'm looking at my own life where is God's story here and how can those things help me make sense of what often just feels like I'm in the middle of a cloud Mm -hmm. right like I can't see far ahead yeah but we can see behind and that gives us a lot to work with yeah absolutely um what chapter what chapter surprised you as you were writing was there one that you were like I did not set out to write this here we are this god is surprising me through a text i knew a lot about uh-huh because alicia is uh she's a presbyterian sister of ours mm-hmm. as well she attends a, a pca church out in washington dc um so she has experience as a as a deacon in the pca she's a deaconess mm-hmm. you gotta put the s at the end the ess <laughs> um but what surprised you with all your knowledge of scripture and your life in the faith that you started writing and you were like oh wait never noticed that before yeah i think um psalm 23 Hmm. i got started on that and regretted including it in the book fairly early i was like everybody knows this passage Mm. like this isn't probably like one out of every three books that 
um, one out of every three Christian books. Um, People are just going to, like, skip over this entire chapter and be like, oh, you know, like, I know this, like, the back of my hand. Um, And so I regretted in the beginning putting it in there. Um, But as I, both as I wrote and as I um, got feedback from readers, I feel like a lot of, some of the things that I learned just in the, like, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, exploring what that, the significance of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, as a part of my research, also looked to um, anthropologists who were specialists in uh, commensality, like the phenomenon of having a shared meal and eating together and the significance of that. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like um, meals have lots of, serve lots of functions in society. Um, and one of the functions um, is a way to intimidate your opponent, mm. whether it's because of the lavishness of a gift or the fact, or sorry, the lavishness of a meal or the fact that you would have a meal in front of your enemy mm. rather than being, you know, going around preparing yeah. for them. You don't scare me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this kind of like, okay, like this can wait or mm. like I got this in the bag kind of feeling. And so this sense of God being the victor Hmm. and even of us becoming victors. And what does that mean? Even when we're in, even when the enemy doesn't disappear, because it's not saying God vanquishes all of our enemies. It says he prepares a table for us. So like, what does he have for us in the middle of that? And Hmm. so I think thinking about what it means to be victorious um, Hmm. was really um, fruitful and even I thought a lot about online discourse and how uncharitable people are to each other and how being uncharitable wins points in the world it seems like and how countercultural it is that like sitting at the feet of Jesus mm. um, and letting other people have the last word or letting you know um, not being so defensive um can actually and trusting God in the midst of those things can actually be um, what victory actually looks like, and thinking about what victory in Christ looks like as Christ uh, modeled victory on the mm. cross, which wasn't, which was strangely like in one way, an expression of failure maybe mm. to the world that like, oh well, the Messiah couldn't save himself, so yeah look who you're following but also like in that act everything that was defeated and undone and all the promises that it contained being like if you only knew so thinking about that in terms of like my own life and practice and spiritual formation and Mm -hmm. what I want it to look like for me to win I think Mm -hmm. is just like following God's example is winning yeah Um, and and not whatever the world says it is so yeah no matter what points are scored on the yeah. scoreboard that does not <laughs> eternally matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was, it was, there was a lot more there hmm. um, than I was anticipating. That chapter, yeah. So. Psalm 23, man, it'll get you. Yeah. It'll get you. It really, I, uh, you're talking about it's in one of three books. It's in one of my three books. And I had a similar, like, uh, everybody knows this, yeah. but there is a reason that we keep coming back to it. I think those passages of scripture that really are heart passages, those hymns and songs and prayers that mm-hmm. are deep within us are there for a reason. And, 
it's interesting because I do think, and we were talking about this this earlier, um, that that can be different culturally, that can be different age to age, that can be different, you know, nationally, depending on where you're from and where you grow up, those passages that really hit you in the heart. And that's one of the reasons we have so much to gain and learn from our partners in global Christianity Mm -hmm. is this passage means X to me because, you know, I grew up in America and I live in California or you live in DC Mm -hmm. and you've seen what you've seen and lived what you've lived. Um, but Globally, the church can help us unpack those sections that aren't necessarily our heart sections, but are for them for for certain reasons. And um, that's one of the things that it came out a little bit in your book, but not maybe as much as I was expecting is you're a very global citizen. I mean, you've lived a Mm -hmm. lot of places. Um, You're planning perhaps to to live somewhere globally (laughs) again soon. Somewheres. (laughs) Somewheres. Somewheres exciting. Um, But how... Tell me about your heart for, for the global church, for mm. seeing expressions of Christianity other places. What is it about that that draws you in and excites you so much? Well, I think it starts from the fact that Christianity isn't an American religion. I'm sorry, what? It might be practiced in America, but it didn't start here. Jesus was from New Jersey. No? <laughs> no. If he was going to be from anywhere in the States, it would be New Jersey. <laughs> New Jersey needs Jesus. I went to college in New Jersey. Yeah, no, no, that's absolutely true. Um, Anyway, but yeah, I think we've already inherited a global faith. Like Hmm. the fact that we are Christians and we're sitting at a table in California talking about, you know, Middle Eastern, a Middle Eastern religion um, is like, Hmm. we're all interested, like to an extent. I mean, we we might not think about Christianity that way because it feels very native, Mm -hmm. but it is foreign. It's foreign in terms of time. It's foreign in terms of place. Um, And so as we are reading the Bible and trying to understand, we are wrestling with like people who are from a different time and place and how they applied the truth of what, of God's law to their lives. Um, And so that's not new. I just continue that interest in wanting to see, okay, well, how do other people apply God's Hmm. law to their lives and um, the context that they're in? Because, you know, people often look to the Bible to answer questions that are relevant to them. And I'm not saying that the Bible isn't relevant, but like the Bible wasn't written to answer all of the questions for every specific culture and time. Um, I think that it has laid out principles and rules and guidelines and wisdom that is time tested and culture tested. But Mm -hmm. um, I do think that there are things that we can learn about the character of God that we can't learn simply by looking at the questions we're asking in America. Mm -hmm. Um, and the questions we're grappling with as a culture. Um, Like, I know, and I'm not, like, trying to be political, but there's been a lot of conversation about genders or pronouns Mm -hmm. um, for um, God and for other people. And I speak Chinese, and the word for he, she, it, it inanimate object, it animal, um, it divine, (laughs) is all the same. Interesting. And so, like, I don't... If I had to guess, like, that's not something, like, pronouns for anything really is probably not something that is a discussion that's happening in China. Mm-hmm. Or in Lao, he, she, it, all the same word. Like, mm-hmm. in Chinese, it's written differently, but it's, the pronunciation is the same. And so I think, like, you know, knowing how language languages vary around the world and how that changes your perspective 
to me, it just is an extension, like, okay, well, how does that change people's perspective about God? Right. And cultures that are more um, collectivist, like, Mm -hmm. I think we have a hard time with some of those passages, because it's like, you're a communist, Um, (laughs) or you're a socialist, but um, I do think that cultures that are more collectivist might be asking questions that we're not asking um, and helping us to see and understand our own blind spots. And describe collectivist, because I know what you mean, but not everyone Okay, um, where the individual is uh, not the prominent uh, consideration when making your plans or ideas. People are thinking about a, a group rather hmm. than themselves. So a family or a, family. a classroom or, yeah, or a, a society. Yeah, interesting. And yeah, I mean, we... I love stories of Bible translation when it comes to different cultures because often we just think, okay, the text says what it says. Mm -hmm. But if you're translating that into a culture that has no category for what that particular word is, how do you stay faithful to the scripture? I love there's a story of a missionary to the Inuit people in the 1800s who translated scripture give us give us today our daily seal because they had no grain they had no bread they had no they didn't know what that was and so he's like okay well in jesus's time and culture bread would have been ubiquitous everyone would have known it yeah. had it eaten it every day what is the equivalent of that in this mm-hmm. Inuit culture and it was seal we every day we eat yeah. seal and so was that what the text said no was it what it meant yeah yes and translators have to make those decisions there's a story of a translator um who was in a southern african country and also in the 1800s and had to decide they had no lambs they didn't have sheep they didn't have lambs but they had a lot of pigs Uh can jesus be the pig of god and he you know through a lot of thought was like no because like Pigs in the Old Testament are a very oh, yeah, different. Yeah, like yeah. that was uh-huh. a bridge too yeah, far, right? Uh-huh. So translators have to make these choices, yeah. and what we don't think about often and don't realize is they've made those choices in English mm, as yes. well. Mm-hmm. So unless we're reading the original Hebrew or the original Greek, we're already getting someone's interpretation yeah. of the text in a way that, as you learn different languages mm-hmm. or meet people from other cultures, we can learn so much more. Not about how ooh the English got this wrong, but about here's another nuance. Mm-hmm. To what Jesus is teaching us. Here's yeah. another shade of meaning, which is such a cool, beautiful, yeah. exciting, like language is amazing, mm-hmm. um, which is why I speak one of them. <laughs> I need to get on that. <laughs> Lincoln is learning Spanish and he's showing me up. Um, and you speak several, several. You're just going to say several. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. It's like seven. Yeah. Um, extremely complicated Asian languages, which is just another amazing facet of Alicia Aikens. Um, but I, I so appreciate the ways that in our conversations and in your writing and in your, you have a blog as well and your, your, um, your writing life and even just little bits of your life that you share on social media and Twitter and things is you'll drop in this. I learned this in my Korean lesson, or I was talking to a friend from China and these things that just enrich, um, the, the cultural Christian conversation in ways that I really appreciate. So yeah. Thank you for being out there and doing what you do. I think you're amazing. 
Thank you. Same. How can, oh, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> How can people get their hands on your lovely book and perhaps follow you on social media if they are social media people? Where yes. are you and where do we find your book? So my blog is Feet Cry Mercy and that is feetcrymercy.com. That's also my Twitter handle. So you can find me on Twitter at Feet Cry Mercy. Um, my book, Invitations to Abundance, is available wherever fine books are sold. No, you can get it on Amazon or Christian Book or I think Target, Barnes & Noble. Um, those uh, retailers have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm on Instagram, AJ underscore Aikens. Yeah, I think those are it. And then sometimes at random other places around on the internet. But. <laughs> you, 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 get, you get to little corners <laughs> of the internet here and there. Um, but friends, I just cannot recommend Alicia's book highly enough to you, especially we're ending this Eastertide study the week before Memorial Day. So if you're thinking, what is our group? What is our small group? We want to stay together. What should we read over the summer? I really highly recommend her work to you. It is just really deeply beautiful and encouraging and challenging and heartening in all the right ways. So Alicia, thank you for taking the time to be with us on the Pecan Podcast. Thank you. All right, friends. I have so enjoyed being with you and being here with Alicia. Next week, you will hear from one of the dudes, Jeff or Dan, who leads on the odd weeks. And then I will be back with you again in two weeks. It has been so good to be with you today. Until next time, take care. Be well. And God bless.